TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. What are we gonna do with our children? What are we gonna do to show we care? How are we gonna be there for our children when they feel that life has just not been that fair? Good evening and welcome back to Masks Weekly Radio Show on Family Matters. Mask. Mothers and fathers align saving kids, kids of all ages and all stages for all mental health struggles, including addiction. If you know somebody that needs a referral for a therapist, a parent support group, even still by Zoom, an inpatient or outpatient program, please Call 718-758-0400. All calls are strictly confidential. I'll repeat the number. Maybe it's for yourself, a loved one, a neighbor, or someone you usually would sit next to in shul. Our number again, 718-758-0400. Tonight, I've been really trying very hard to get on my guest, and it's finally happened. She's a very, very busy psychotherapist, and I'd like to welcome on Aliza Tropper. How are you, Aliza? Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. Um, I'm so glad to be here, and um, I hope that I can, you know, share some wisdom with everyone. And I'm so grateful um, for all that Mass does for the community and for families, and um, which is why, you know, I took the time because I am just really admire um, all the work that Mass does, and it's been really helpful for so many people. Thank you. Elisa Trapper is a licensed psychotherapist who's practicing for more than 10 years, and she's in private practice in Cedarhurst, New York, and she works with children and adolescents and adults that struggle with anxiety, OCD, depression, relationship difficulties, and trauma, all sorts of trauma. She also has a DBT group for adolescents and adults. So, Lisa, I really want to get you on and talk about trauma People are so traumatized with COVID, with being in and out of school. Kids are really suffering. But I want to talk first. Let's just first give the definition of what trauma is, please. Yes. Okay. So there are many definitions, and I'm gonna, you know, define it by, you know, a few. A few people. Some of it's based off of Pat Ogden, and some of it is based off of Dr. Deborah Mate and just other, you know, just some other things that I've acquired over time. So 
you know, trauma is basically this, this unique individual's experience of an event where there's this, where it's so overwhelming that they're not able to integrate their experience. And it's usually this outside, outside event that happens. And because this event is so overwhelming, their ability to stay present and to understand what happened, what is happening, and the ability to integrate their feelings and make sense of the experience does not happen. And because of that, you know, this is what basically makes them feel traumatized. And, and so that's one thing, right? So they're not able to integrate their emotional experience. And B, the situation is perceived as threatening to one's safety and survival. And, and, then, and then what happens is it causes this fight and flight response or this freeze response. So those are two points. But to add on to that, not only is there phys physical and physiological sensations, right, such as hyperarousal, hyperarousal, which I'll discuss later, right, the fight and flight response, our heart rate, you know, um, starts to race, we freeze. Um, but there's these sensations precede the cognitive and emotional perception. So you can't talk yourself, you can tell yourself cognitively something. But the thing with trauma is, is it might not be enough, is that your body is responding in such a way that it's in danger. So that, you know, that's what this, all these things together, I would say, is what really trauma is. And, um, you know, Dr. Gabor Mate, he, he defines trauma as like integral, invisible force that shapes our lives. It shapes the way we live, the way we love, and the way we make sense of the world. So it's, it's basically something that's happened. And because of that, because this thing is so frightening and so overwhelming and we're not able to integrate this experience, it then will impact the way we view the world, the way we relate to others, the way we love, the way we show up, and the way we make sense of the world. So you brought up the word traumatized. And I think it's important that we discuss the experience of trauma to when somebody feels they were traumatized. So what what is the response when somebody says, I feel so traumatized by this experience that happened to me 10 years ago? So yeah, so let, let's define that for a moment. So the DSM, you know, will define that for us, you know? So a lot of people could go through trauma but not necessarily be traumatized, right? So. The DSM defines, defines PTSD okay, very, very clearly. And it says that you have to have been exposed to a traumatic event, okay? And a traumatic event means that it involves death or threatened death. It can be actual or threatened serious injury or actual or threatened sexual violence, okay? So there has to be, number one, an exposure to a traumatic event. Then you also have to... Um, and, and this exposure could either be directly, you could be directly exposed to this traumatic event, or you could have been a witness, or you even could have heard about this and repeated hearing of details can also, you know, um, let's say traumatize a person. Or a loved one can have some sort of traumatic event. So that's what it means by exposure. It doesn't have to be direct, you don't have to be directly exposed. So here, so here's the criteria, right? So if you're traumatized, this means that there is some sort of Number one, traumatic event. There is some sort of exposure. Then there, ha there are cert other, certain other criteria. So there's intrusion, okay? Like um, those are flashbacks, nightmares, and other physiological symptoms, okay? And there has to be one symptom of, of intrusion in order to meet criteria, to be avoidance. And that means that like people, you might have 
avoid any cues that remind you of the traumatic event. You might avoid thoughts. This is why people can't recall details of the event. So there's also avoidance. And then there's another set of, there's another um, set of criteria, which are changes in cognition and mood, which is basically, you know, you distort a sense of blaming yourself, the world, other people. There's this lack of interest in doing things. There's um, negative beliefs and expectations about yourself, about the future. And there has to be two symptoms of changes in cognitions and mood. And there's also another criteria where there's increased arousal and reactivity, like anger, hypervigilance, and there has to be two symptoms. And these, all these symptoms need to be for a month, and they also need to cause significant distress and impair functioning in their lives. So this is how the DSM defines traumatized, PTSD. So I'd like you just for my listeners that may not know what DSM is, if you can just define that for them, please. Sure. So it's a, a book, the Diagnostic Statistical Manu Manual, that goes through all different disorders that really help us understand, you know, what people are struggling with. So it's just like a book to look up to understand, you know, therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists use this as a way of diagnosing. Correct. Thank you. Um, so I really want to um, bring up that untreated PTSD from any trauma is, you know, not likely to just disappear and can come to the person in other ways like chronic pain or drug use to self-medicate. Um, can we start first to talk about young children, how does it appear in children, trauma, and what should parents look out for? Sure, yes. So, you know, this is, you might suddenly notice a kid in school, or suddenly there's like the sudden behavior change, they're unable to learn, they're not thriving, there's aggressive behavior, and this is a sign, you know what, something might be going on here. And for children ages zero to two, it's going to look more like a baby who can't stop crying, um, they're screaming excessively, they might have poor weight, poor appetite, low weight, digestive problems. They might have memory problems. They might demonstrate very poor verbal skills. So that's how it's going to look when it's a very young child, ages zero to two. For older children, they suddenly, you might see a child that's suddenly developing new fears. They're not sleeping well. They're having nightmares. There's this, they're, not, they're unable to learn in school. There's decline in their schoolwork. There's, they're unable to concentrate. They're, they're, they might be complaining that they're having headaches, tummy aches. They're, they're irritable, um, they're angry, they might even have like separation anxiety, there's sudden sadness. So if you start to see that your child, is like the sudden change in them, this might be a clue that something more is going on here. Children don't just suddenly, you know, stop wanting to learn or stop wanting to play or stop wanting to socialize. So these are some things you might want to look out for. And... It is reversible, the PTSD in children. Isn't that correct? Of course, yes. So I want, you, I want yeah. you to give hope to parents whose children don't, do have trauma at a young age or had trauma. How is it beneficial? Why is it beneficial to go to therapy even if something happened years ago? Um, there is... Really, um, you know, being able to, part of really healing from trauma is being able to make sense of that, their experience. So for young children, they might have to do that through play therapy. 
um, and to make sense of their experience and be able to play it out and be able to process it. Um, otherwise, what ends up happening is, is if you keep reliving the trauma, you keep living as if it's happening now. Your body keeps living as if you're happy, as, as if it's happening now, um, and it could really affect the brain and the body. Um, would you let me talk more about? Yeah, talk talk about how the brain, what happens to the brain when the person is traumatized, and how it affects, you know, the impact on the body it can have. Okay. So yeah, so there's, let's first talk about the brain, okay? Let's separate it. So the impact that it has in the brain is that, first of all, I want to just explain something, that there's, there's really three parts of the brain. You have to understand the brain to understand how trauma is impacted. And um, there's the frontal lobe, which is like the thinking part of the brain. That's the part of our brain that problem solves, remembers events. That's where we express ourselves verbally. And then there's the limbic part of the brain, which is where the amygdala is. And that is our nonverbal part of our brain. That's the part of us that like, experiences our emotions, it's our relational experience with others, it's where we where our gut is, it's it's where we actually store traumatic memory. Okay? Then there's the third part of the brain, which is the brain stem. That is where our instinctive responses are, such as like that regulates hunger, breathing, heart rate, sleeping. And what it, what's been what's shown is that brain scans show that when we remember a traumatic event, what suddenly happens is is that the frontal brain, the part of our thinking brain, completely shuts down and we get overwhelmed by feelings and impulses instead of actually recalling the events, right? That's why we don't remember what happens. And then what's, what's, what starts to happen is that the limbic system responds to these memories with increased activity, okay? So like, especially in the amygdala. The amygdala is part of the limbic system. That's the part of our brain that's a smoke detector, okay? And it will set off, it will let the body know, it will sound off an alarm as if we are in danger now. So it will let the reptilian part of the brain, the part of our brain that regulates hunger, breathing, our heart rate, it will then set that off and suddenly will be this increase um, in our heart rate. We might stop breathing, we might hyperventilate, our muscles might tense, or we might like have feelings of numbness. Um, so this is what's happening, it's that our when when, tra when a traumatic event happens and we, we, we remember it, or as it's happened, our frontal lobe completely shuts down. We're no longer processing information. We're not able to recall events. But our emotional part, the limbic system, the part of us that really does rem remembers memory, traumatic memory and emotion, gets taken over and sends off this alarm. And that's why we hyperventilate. That's why we then have this fight and flight sy symptoms, like we're in danger when we're, when we're really not anymore. So there's real impacts on the brain, and that's why people keep reliving as if it's happening, even if it's not. So that's the brain. Now, would you like me to talk more about what's happening in the body? Yes, I mean, it, please. Okay. So what happens is, is that we all know, okay, so obviously I said before that the body's impacted with fight and flight and sensations. But I want to speak about this point that, you know, we all know the body keeps score, right? That's over, um when he talks about this. And, right. and, and I'm just going to interrupt and let everyone know that is a book. Everyone that wants to learn more about trauma, buy the book. The Body Keeps the Score. Thank mm -hmm. you. Sure. So what happens is, is that when we have an event, okay, our body remembers something. And even if we commonly don't remember so there's something called procedural learning, okay, which I want to explain this because this is, this is exactly why our body remembers. Procedural learning is this idea that we remember things without even, certain things without thinking. 
For example, riding a bike, right? We don't, once we learn how to ride a bike, we don't have to think about it 10 years later or driving a car, right? It becomes automatic, right? So that's that type, that is called, um, that is like implicit memories, okay? Now, ex explicit memories, okay, like, those are more things that we have to co we have to cognitively think about, like trying to remember a formula or trying to remember a phone number. With trauma, our procedural learning, our implicit memories, okay, like the automatic behaviors are still remembered. So even if we are currently not anymore in danger, our body automatically remembers how it was and responds to the situation in a, in this state of I need to be prepared for danger. The, it feels as if it's happening, as if we're back in the past, and we need to now defend ourselves. Our nervous system becomes prepared for danger because of procedural learning. Because even if we don't cognitively remember something, automatically our bodies do, and it's, it it's ready to be prepared for danger. And it, it remembers, even if currently it's not. So this is really what's happening, and this is why people, their, their nervous system responds in this way because it remembers and it stays there and they're automatically responding today as if it's happening, even though they, it's, it's not. So um, because of these implicit, these, these implicit memories and procedural learning is why the body keeps the score. So there are three types of trauma. There's the acute trauma that results like from a single incident. There's chronic trauma, which is repeated, you know, possibly abuse. And then there's complex trauma, which is multiple traumatic events that, you know, go layer upon layer. Um, let's, you know, divorce a loss of a parent. Um, you want to discuss the difference between those kind of traumas and a car accident? Yeah. You know, attachment trauma versus a regular trauma. Mm hmm. So it's a really, really great, you know, great question, because um, I think people often get confused by that, is that you can have, you know, they call it like little T traumas, big T traumas. So a person can have a, the, the big T traumas are like those natural disasters, a car accident, right, sexual abuse. Um, and those are very, very clear. Right, like okay, like these will often cause people to you know develop PTSD. Not always, but but you know some. Then there's like the little T and incidences where those are like the small, the smaller things, right? They're not as they're not they're not a loss of threatened death. There's no violence necessarily or natural disasters, but it's little incidences like a loss. I mean, a loss, not a loss. A loss would probably be big T, but maybe a loss of a job. Um, it could be things like a breakup. Um, it could be financial stress. Um, it could be, you know, divorce, right? So those incidents, those can also have a, a major impact on a person. And, and again, it's not about what the experience was. It was how that person experienced it and how that person perceived it. So that's what it all depends on. And, you know, then there's also like, there's attachment trauma. So attachment trauma is very much like has to do with the relationship that if someone had an experience like emotional neglect, um, that, that, you know, and where that person really does not feel a sense of safety, but extremely overwhelmed, that could then go on to impacting, you know, their, their other relationships in their life. And 
they will then respond with defensiveness, um, be very, very sensitive to criticism, to rejection, to abandonment. Um, so that is, you know, but even attachment trauma, right? So that's all about the, the relationship with their early caregivers. That could even be something like if the parent is emotionally checked out and, you know, but, but it keeps happening. It's consistent. It's not sometimes. It's consistently the parent not being emotionally involved or consistently a parent not setting boundaries. That can cause attachment trauma as well. Right. And that is, can uh, cause disassociation. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Um, definitely. And would you like me to talk more about dissociation? Yes. Okay. Because I did want to just talk about, um, I mean, I know these are both important, but I did want to kind of talk about, you know, how like someone might show up and they're traumatized because, okay, I guess I could talk about, sometimes it's not the way we seem, but okay, I guess we can start with this and we'll see if we have time. What is dissociation? So if you, you know, this is like, you know, I heard this somewhere and I thought it really defines it really well. If you can't tolerate what you know or what you feel, the only option is denial and dissociation. So bottom line, if something is so, so threatening to a person, they, they, and they, what they will do is, is that they will block out those emotions, those feelings. They will mentally block it out. They might have this like out-of-body experience because the present is so, so painful. And, you know, and what I, I think the, a real a good way to define dissociation, it's like this disconnection from full awareness of self, of time, or external circumstances. So, you know, I like to say dissociation is on a continuum, okay? Like, we might dissociate by daydreaming, or we might be driving somewhere, and we might not even know how we got there. Or we might be so involved in watching a movie that we're completely lose track of everything that's around us, right? And that, that type of dissociation is all normal. We have it, you know, a lot of times, right? But then when people are traumatized, they experience dissociation to the point that they might, um, they block out memories, they cut themselves off, they feel fragmented, they, they feel detached, they feel disconnected from their surroundings, um, it's chronic, they might create these other parts of themselves um, to create, you know, to basically live with, because life feels so threatening to them. Their present feels like there's so much danger in it that they create these alternate, either like, you know, it's called, let's say with DID, right? That's a very extreme mm -hmm. dissociative, dissociative identity disorder, right? So those, um, that we're talking about here, dissociation, where they're creating these alternate personalities or different parts of themselves to be able to cope with, with their lives um, because their present seems like it's so threatening because of their past traumatic experiences. So they might have this part of themselves that always shows up as... Um, it doesn't even have to be an alter, alternate person, but this part of themselves that will often show up as being very, very often feeling abandoned. And it will come up as something that really doesn't seem like they really were abandoned. Or they might show up as this person that is this like caretaker all the time, saving people. So there's with this, you know, there's really, I would like to say, like overall dissociation is like really on a continuum from daydreaming to extreme like dissociative identity disorders. PTSD, dissociative amnesia, where in order to survive, they had to fragment and, and cut themselves off because, because that's how it was actually really, really useful. Because the present was so, so frightening and so, so scary and so, so threatening, in order to make it through, they had to shut off from where they were. So it's actually a fabulous, 
that was coping mechanism. But then what happens is, is that then when they're not in danger anymore, they keep living their lives that way. Disconnected, passive, numb. You know, so that that's how I would really just like summarize it. Um, I'm wondering, Elise, if you can describe the best, uh, you know, the most effective treatments to help people heal from trauma, please. Yeah. So there are, you know, there are definitely many. There's no apps. There's no one way. There's people find many different things helpful. I'll start with, you know, there's the TFCBT, um, trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy and prolonged exposure. That's all about like exposing yourself to the narrative and your story and looking out for, you know, cognitive distortions. And then there's, um, you know, the way that you think about the experience. So you're trying to change those beliefs and those thoughts. Then there's EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And that is all about, you know, if someone's emotionally charged in current situations, they will, they will look back at those current situations, look back at negative beliefs that are tied to that, look back at patterns, these neural, you know, these neural pathways that have been created. And then at the same time, they use bilateral stimulation, which is, you know, moving the eyes back and forth, which has been shown that it could be very effective. It's, it's the same thing that happens when you sleep, which is where, you know, um, memory processing happens. Then there's somatic and sensory motor. And that very much is, is a type of therapy that's used with the body, used with sensations, because as we know, the body remembers and being able to get past it with somatic, going into the body, staying present while you're going through that traumatic experience, being able to stay present with the body and be able to move past those sensory motor and the, all those sensations and impulses that the body wants to do. Um, yeah. Right. So again, Aliza, let's um, maybe give some tips for parents with young children, what to look out for again, please. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think that if you see that your child, if there's a big change in your child's behavior and, you know, you, this might be a, you know, a sign. And, you know, like I said before, with young children, they might suddenly have this change of behavior. They might be aggressive. They might be withdrawn. They might not be able to learn, not be able to concentrate. When you see that, I would really reach out to a mental health professional. I would talk to your child. If there was anything going on, if they're at the verbal stage, really talk to them. And, in a, you know, and really just trying to understand anything happened. You can talk to mommy about if anything can happen. And you, that's why it is very important to talk to our children about, like, appropriate touch and inappropriate touch and even, you know, asking a child, did anyone touch you, you know, and really being able to have these conversations with our children and then, and really, you know, then getting, you know, going to a psychiatrist, getting evaluated, going to a therapist, um, you know, are really ways that we really can help our children. But I think by being able to speak to our children about what safety is, what safe touch is, um, these are things that can teach our children and really hopefully, you know, really prevent some terrible things that end up happening to people. If we can educate our children about this. Um, but I just want to just leave off with one more thing is that. Sure. Um, you know, often you'll have, people will have a friend or a person that they know or a therapist might have a client and that comes in and has all sorts of symptoms. They're having attacks. They're struggling with addictions, eating disorders. They say they feel numb. They say they feel hopeless. And you're like, what is going on here? 
right? There seems like there's so many struggles and so many challenges. And I want, because we didn't necessarily speak so much about the adults, is that this is a sign that something more is going on here. And this is why having a trauma-informed care is so, so important. Because if you see someone that's struggling with feeling hopelessness, that has so much shame, they're mistrustful, they're hypervigilant, they have these, they're having chronic pain, they're, we talk about like, that they're always hypervigilant, they always feel emotionally dysregulated, they always feel emotionally overwhelmed, they're struggling with, you know, insomnia. This is a sign that something more is most likely going on, and there's very, very high chance that there's trauma there. People don't just show up with all sorts of symptoms like this. And, you know, it's been said, like, we don't, um, trauma, as someone Harvey says this, that trauma survivors have symptoms instead of memories. And I think that's exactly it. Like, and that's what it is. They might not be able to recall things, but if they're showing up with all these symptoms, this is a sign that, that they've gone through something, that there's, that there's, that they're tra- probably, tra- you know, they're traumatized, they've gone through trauma. And, and this is something we really want to look out for as parents and as educators and as, you know, as a therapist, as any human being. Well, thank you, Elisa Trapper. Thank you for being on. We're running out of time. I hope to have you on again soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that, you know, this can, if this can even help one person, then this will go a long way. So thank you again. Okay. And I want to wish everybody a very good evening, a beautiful Shabbos. And always remember, hang in, hold on, and virtually for now, hug tight. Please consider to donate online, maskparents.org, so we can continue with our programs. Thank you, and have a good night. Tonight's show is in memory of Rivka. Bas Yisrael.